There sure are a lot of famous stories that are found in the book of Exodus, a lot of great ones that, that are very inspiring to us and really give us a lot of hope for the, the things that we see in the world around us. And for the past few weeks, what we've been kind of doing is, is taking several chapters at a time and, and looking at them. We're going to be slowing down a little bit in this video, and we're going to take a look at one of these famous stories. But I will warn you, this story is not some of these really great faith-building ones like what we've looked at before. You know, it's not like how God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites cross through. No, this one is actually a, a very dark time in Israel's history. This is the time whenever they worship the golden calf. And I want to say this before we ever even get into the text and before I start reading these things. You know, I might say some things in this video that kind of sound like I'm trying to defend their behavior. But let me state this before I do that at all and before I, I, I state anything else. Their behavior was wrong. Their behavior was most certainly a sin. Now, at some times in this video, I'm going to kind of maybe mention some things that, that possibly they could have been, uh, you know, thinking or, or something like that, mainly because to me, sometimes we look at a story like this and we think, there's no way that I could possibly do that. I want us to kind of slow down just a little bit and to realize, you know, there were probably some pretty faithful people in this group, but yet the group as a whole still did this horrible thing. How could such a thing happen? So that is what I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of insight into and maybe kind of talk about just a little bit that might sound like I'm trying to to soften this this blow and soften this sinfulness, but I'm not. OK, this was a sin without a doubt. There's no way that it was a good thing. But I want us to understand these are people and just like we are people and we need to recognize that there's something to learn from this story. So let's learn it. Let, let's find out what we can learn from this negative example. The very first verse, it kind of sets the stage and, and lets us realize what's going on. And by the way, we still are at the mountain. We're going to continue to stay at the at this mountain whenever God reveals himself. And he's he's laying down the law. And in the midst of this story, after we've already seen some things about um, that, that, that the law of Moses has already been given, some of it, it's going to continue after this passage. But right here, we have a little bit of a break and we see this story. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up, make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay, there's a lot of important things we need to see already from this very first verse. Okay, for starters, let's recognize some things, okay? Like I said before, these people are human. What's going on in their minds? Well, this Moses, he went up on a mountaintop, and at this point, I don't know, maybe they're a month in, maybe they're a little bit more than a month in. He stays up there for 40 days, so it's like a month and a half time period that Moses is gone, and the people are waiting. They're around the mountain. We get anxious of waiting, don't we? We want to do something. We have our own questions, you know, what's going on here if if you are following somebody and then all of a sudden that leader kind of vanishes for a time, you start to wonder, what's he doing? What are we doing? What's going to happen to us in the future? That's the, the, like, what's going on in their minds right now. They're trying to figure out, when is he going to come down? You know, we, we know, of course, it's going to take 40 days. Did they know that? What were they thinking? What were they experiencing? So they say right here, you know, we don't even know what happened to this guy. You know, we don't know what's become of him. 
And I guess they could even be thinking, well, he went into the presence of God and he's not coming back. I mean, hasn't that happened before? Uh, whenever you look at like uh, Enoch and, and, you know, maybe some other people in the Old Testament, um, they, they went before the Lord and they didn't come back for one reason or another. So did that happen with Moses? No, not yet. Moses is going to come down. But whenever he comes down, he sees something horrible. Because in this time period of them waiting, they make bad choices. Maybe that's also a lesson that we need to, to realize. Sometimes we need to pause. Whenever we find ourselves waiting, sometimes we might need to just pause and make sure that we refocus and, and stay focused on God, on Jesus Christ, what he would have us to do. Well, let's see what the Israelites did. You probably already know the story, but let's read it together. Verses two through six, this is where the story goes. So Aaron said to them, break off the gold earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the gold earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He accepted the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Then they said, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. So they got up early on the next day and offered up burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Okay. How could they do this? How could he do this? You know, we, we look at Aaron. He's the high priest. Shouldn't he know better? I mean, by, by all practical you know, points, at least that we've seen up to this point. Yeah, he does know better. Why does he do this? You know, you can, uh, sometimes you might even find, I noticed in, in preparing for uh, for this lesson and in this study and all, you know, sometimes people try to explain Aaron's behavior here and, and they're thinking, well, maybe he was like, you know, trying to delay this process and that's why he goes through this whole thing about bringing the gold earrings. I mean, after all, we don't know how long this took, but let's face it, it took some time in order to make a golden calf. So maybe he's just trying to delay and trying to get the people to come to their senses and then eventually they're not coming to their senses, so he goes ahead and does it. I don't know. I think that's maybe kind of just trying to explain away what we see is just, it's, it's sinfulness. This whole nation is just going down the wrong pathway. And right here, this high priest, the guy who is supposed to be this wonderful spiritual leader of Israel, and he isn't. He's the one who's actually leading this. He's the one who's fashioning it himself. Now, let me also kind of, kind of go into some of this. So, you know, I'm not trying to excuse Aaron's behavior there. Okay, as we keep going, though, I want us to notice something about the text, the text, because it can be a little confusing. In verse four, the statement that's said is, then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Okay, now let me tell you something about this, this term for, for gods and the way that this is written. Um, after all, um, it's important to remember that one of the main terms that's used for God is Elohim, which is actually a plural word. So it's kind of hard to tell, okay, is it Elohim in the sense of the one true and living God, you know, the one God of Israel, or is it Elohim in the sense of multiple gods? And sometimes that word can be used interchangeably. So here, whenever we see this, the same type of thing being, being done here, are they making the statement, that this is your God and they actually think that it's the God of Israel who brought them up out of Egypt. I mean, maybe that's what they're going on. But um, And then also, I think it's important to notice in verse five, what Aaron said is he made this proclamation, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. So they seem to at least be thinking that 
you know, they are perhaps worshiping the Lord. And see, that's something that we, uh, at least I know that I oftentimes, until somebody kind of started pointing some of these things out to me, um, I didn't ever really think about that. To me, this story was always one that, okay, God, the one true God of the Bible, he's leading them out of Egypt. And all of a sudden they just start making this golden calf and they're just, they're trying to worship this golden calf. And then that's what they're doing. But here in this passage, perhaps what they are actually doing is they're making an image that they think represents the God who led them out of Egypt. Now, I state all that just to kind of help you to, to start to see how people can maybe um, kind of think, okay, well, maybe this is kind of okay because we, we can't see Moses. He's gone. So let's make something that we can see. So, you know, they can kind of start justifying that in their own minds. That doesn't make it right. I'm not trying to excuse this behavior. I'm not trying to make it look like it's really better than what it was. I mean, after all, which is better that they just made some God out of gold and they just started worshiping that and, and just rejected the, the God that brought them out of Egypt? Or is it better that they think they're worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt and they build some golden calf in honor of him and bow down to it as if that's their God? I don't know that really either one of those is a good situation. In fact, I know that both of those are a horrible situation and neither one is right. Both of those situations are going to go against the first uh, two or even three commands that are kind of the big 10 commandments. They're breaking them already. So like while they've already agreed to do all these things and follow whatever God says fully, We've already looked at several passages where the whole community is saying, we're going to do everything that the Lord has asked us. Well, they're not doing a good job so far. They've really messed up. And, and you know, right here also, you know, we look at the end of verse six. I also want to point this out. You know, as we look at this, we might think, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. You know, the people sit around to eat and they drink and then they rose up to play. Okay, you know, they're just kind of going about their everyday business. But actually the way that this, this phrase is used in other passages and how it's talked about in the New Testament it's a horrible thing. It's a bad thing. And this whole idea about them, uh, you know, the, how they rose up to play, um, that term, it can be used for any number of things. It could just be some type of, you know, innocent fun that they were having, just kind of carrying on their day-to-day -day lives. Or it could be something that even is, you know, some type of uh, immoral behavior, behavior that they shouldn't be engaging in. Whatever the case, it's not good what they're doing. They have lost their focus. They've lost their attention. And they're not centered on the one true God of the Bible who has led them out and conquered Egypt. Verses 7 through 10. The Lord's still speaking to Moses, remember? He, they're still up on the mountain. The Lord spoke to Moses, go quickly, descend, because your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. And have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Look what a stiff-necked people they are. So now, leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. And I will make from you a great nation. A lot of very interesting thing happens right here. And, and if anything, if you, if you want to get anything really positive uh, about this story. It's going to be what we see from this slide and also kind of the next one or, or, or two slides that we see and, and how Moses responds to this. Because right here, we are getting a glimpse into the wrath of God and also to a degree how the wrath of God works. He's upset, rightfully so. I mean, let's face it. 
Um, if any one of us did even a fraction of what God has done and, and put forth a fraction of the effort that God put forth in order to lead this whole nation out of the land of Egypt, and then the, the people who you helped just completely turn their back on you. And, and in this case, you know, I mean, God is the one who's supposed to be worshiped and they've just completely thrown that out the window and they're doing something entirely different. They are a stiff necked people. And what God actually requests, and it's something very interesting about his anger, you know, and, and this is, this kind of gives us an insight into the wrath and the, and the anger of God. He tells Moses, he says, just leave me alone and let my anger just burn against them. And, and he's going to destroy them. That's that, that is this plan that he's starting to tell Moses and he's, he's talking with Moses about because that, at least to some degree, is what God wants to do. And he would have been perfectly justified in doing that. I know that sounds weird saying that, but wouldn't he have been? He is the creator and the sustainer of all life. And he has created these people. He's brought them out of the land of Egypt and they're turning away from him. And what he says is, look, how about I just destroy this whole nation and I start over from you? You know, I think after all, if, if you want to kind of make the argument, I think he could still fulfill his his promises to Abraham through Moses, couldn't he? You know, maybe there's there's a little bit of difficulty in that. We might have a hard time thinking about that. But yeah, maybe he could have just completely uh, started over with Moses right here. But Moses actually suggests a different way. And God listens. This is where Moses intercedes for the people. It, it's really kind of the, the role of, it's partially at least the role of what a, a priest was supposed to do. And Moses steps up and, and he is not only a prophet of God and speaking on behalf of God, but he's also speaking on behalf of the people. And he has a conversation with God. And listen to what he says. Verses 11 through 14. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, for evil he led them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and told them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken about, I will give to your descendants and they will inherit it forever. Then the Lord relented over the evil that he had said he would do to his people. Now, in this passage, um, a couple things I need to, to sort of mention because uh, we can kind of be led a little bit astray in, in, what, in what is going on here based on what the English says. Uh, for starters, one of the things that Moses talks about is um, he, he keeps using the term evil and, you know, uh, bringing evil against your people. And he's actually talking about what God is doing. So that's kind of weird to most of us to think that God would do something evil. But let me explain here. Let me explain that actually by, by reading to you a note that is found in the, the uh, New English translation of the, the Bible. Um, they have these different study notes that go into the different words that's used there. And whenever it comes to this passage here about evil, the note, it says the word evil means any kind of life-threatening or fatal calamity. Evil is that which hinders life, interrupts life, causes pain to life, or destroys it. So if we kind of understand not what we think of whenever we think of the term evil and think about God as you know, doing something bad, that's not what God is doing right here. This is evil in the sense of it's not promoting this people of Israel. He's talking about destroying them. 
That's why sometimes we might read this term evil or, or something like that. I don't know how necessarily the, some of the other translations translate that, but we're not talking about God doing something bad. We're talking about God doing something that is, is contrary to um, life and those, those things that, are, that, that produce life and all. Uh, whenever he is actually destroying life, which he does from time to time, doesn't he? I mean, even in this book, he, he also destroyed all the life of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army, didn't he? Whenever he, uh, he put the Red Sea back together. Um, another statement here in verse 13, what Moses appeals to is God's own word, God's promises. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and told them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. So, He's appealing back to what God has already promised, what God has already said. And this might be, you know, the, the last slide I, I said that if, if God started over with Moses, you know, wouldn't that still be fulfilling the, the words that he said to Abraham? Um, I think it would be fulfilling the words that he said to Abraham. It might be a little bit more of a question whether or not God would still be faithful to what he said to Isaac and to Israel if he just started over with Moses. Um, but God just says to Moses that his anger is burning and he's kind of, Kind of says, well, let me at him. Let me just let this anger just burn. And Moses says, think about what that will look like. Think about what the Egyptians are going to say. Because, yeah, you brought them out, but then you're not able to be able to sustain them in the wilderness. That kind of would make God look like he's not very powerful, wouldn't it? And what we see in verse 14 is that the Lord decided to do something different. He decided not to kill all of them and to start over. Well, so what's going to happen? I mean, a great sin has been committed. Something's got to happen, right? Verses 15 through 20. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. They were written on the front and on the back. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, It is the sound of war in the camp. Moses said, It is not the sound of those who shout for victory. Nor is it the sound of those who cry because they are overcome, but the sound of singing I hear. When he approached the camp and saw the calf and dancing, Moses became extremely angry. He threw the tablets from his hand and broke them to pieces at the bottom of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burnt it in the fire, ground it to a powder, poured it into the water, and made the Israelites drink it. I find this statement a little ironic uh, of what Moses is doing. You know, uh, of course, you know, this. This, uh, there is a little bit of what we might call poetic justice of what happens. You know, they, they created this horrible thing. Now they're going to have to, you know, kind of eat it. They're, they're going to have to eat their own words and, and kind of reap these uh, negative effects of, of their sin. But one of the things that I find kind of ironic about this is the last couple of slides, what we've looked at is how God wanted to be angry and wanted his anger to burn. And then Moses talked him out of it and said, is there another way? And God said, okay, there is another way. But then notice what Moses does. He gets angry. You know, it, it is kind of very much like us, isn't it? Uh, to, to be angry at things like this. But you know, the reasons for him being angry, it, it, it had a cause. You know, it wasn't just completely pointless. If we were in a similar situation to Moses, I hope that at least there would be some form of anger within each and every one of us. Now, why he broke the tablets, uh, I... He was angry. I don't know if I can exactly explain everything that, that happens in all of this and, and why he did some of these things that he did, but 
This is what he acted on. And this is what the people had to, to recognize what they had done. And at some point, you know, they have to realize they did the wrong thing. Verses 21 through 24, the story continues. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought on them so great a sin? Aaron said, do not let your anger burn hot, my Lord. You know these people that they tend to evil. They said to me, make us gods that will go before us. For, as, uh, for this fellow Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, break it off. They gave it to me and threw it, and I threw it in the fire and this calf came out. This is kind of one of those stories that I don't know what Aaron was thinking. I'm not going to try to defend uh, his behavior. Yeah, I might share the same name, but I, you know, uh, apart from that, uh, I don't like his behavior right here. You know, sometimes people can, can taint certain names with their actions. And right here, I would say that Aaron has at least somewhat painted his own name by doing this great act of evil. What's his excuse? He says, oh, Moses, you know, you, you know, these people, they, they tend toward evil. Does that excuse it? No, that, that's no excuse. His next thing is even worse than that, though. In verse 24, this sounds like an excuse that uh, parents might hear from their own kids sometimes, you know, whenever Whenever you confront a child about uh, misconduct and they just can't come up with anything else anymore and they just say something that only halfway makes sense, that seems to be what Aaron is doing. Because, I mean, listen to this. Verse 24. I'm going to read it again. So I said to them, whoever has gold, break it off. Okay. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and this calf came out. Is that what happened? You don't just throw gold into a fire and a calf comes out. They had to take time. They had to make this thing. He's trying to, to pass off this blame. But really what he needs to do is he needs to accept his wrongdoing and be able to find a way to, to move past this. He needs to repent and he move, needs to move past it. That's a lesson that we can learn. There's still a little bit more to this story though. Verses 25 through 29 now. Moses saw that the people were running wild for Aaron had let them get completely out of control, causing derision from their enemies. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. All the Levites gathered around him. And he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel has said. Each man fasten your sword on his side and go back and forth from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And each one kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. The Levites did what Moses ordered. And that day about 3,000 uh, men of the people died. Moses said, you have been consecrated today for the Lord, for each of you was against his son or against his brother. So he has given a blessing to you today. Now this passage, it's a sad passage. In verses 25 through 29 of, of, of this chapter, we read about what, what the Lord said to do in this case. And what the Lord said to do was to, to purge this, this wickedness, this evilness that had come among them. The way that they're stated in verse 25, apparently the people are just going out of control completely. They're causing problems and they're just refusing to follow God in, in this case. At least some of them. Some of them are. Obviously, though, some of them are still faithful. And that's where I want us to, the whole time that we look at this chapter, you know, notice that the Levites um, that, that show up in verse 26, they, they come out of the woodwork, so to speak, of this story. 
and they do exactly what the Lord asks them to do, even though it might have been a, a difficult thing for them. They still do exactly what God had asked them to do. Where were they before? They were still in the midst. They were still uh, among all the people. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, maybe they could have kind of uh, taken themselves a little bit away from the situation, but they were still there at the camp. So see, not every single one of them was doing sinful things all the time. I guess you could perhaps say that these these Levites might have repented. I don't know. They kind of seem like they're for the Lord and they're going to do what the Lord wants them to do. And in this case, they do. And yes, it sounds weird to us that, you know, you would uh, you would you would kill these people uh, who are going against what the Lord had said. But, you know, sometimes there comes a point. What do you do in that situation? What do you do whenever you have this whole nation that is supposed to be devoted to the Lord? And then you have a large group of them who they're not and they're ruining everything for everybody else. And they are refusing to repent. What do you do if somebody continues to refuse and refuse and refuse to repent. This is what happened here. Not necessarily saying this is what has to happen uh, today. And most certainly, I, I actually don't think this is how uh, we should um, take care of things today and you know problems today. Because uh, our Lord is not going to ask us to do these things anymore. But yet here in this case, this is what was required of them. This is what was required of this nation. And this is what they did in order to purge the evil, to purge the wickedness from their camp. The last few verses of this chapter, verses 30 through 35. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a very serious sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement on behalf of your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has committed a very serious sin and they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, wipe me out from your book that you have written. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, that person I will, write, I will wipe out of my book. So now go, lead the people to the place I have spoken to you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day that I punish, I will indeed punish them for their sin. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one Aaron made. So this chapter it ends recognizing, and, and several times it, Moses keeps saying, this is such a serious, a very serious sin. So in no way have I ever been trying to excuse their behavior. I have been trying to kind of maybe explain to us how the this nation who has seen all these miracles might be led astray to, to do something like this, to commit some form of idolatry like this. But whatever the case, that doesn't excuse this sin. No, it just kind of, means that we need to heed this warning. Look at it. Listen to it. Make sure that we don't go down the same pathway. Of course, it would look different in our lives than their lives, but let's make sure that we don't go down the same pathway. Let's make sure that we continue to follow God and follow him wherever he leads us and do whatever he asks us to do. Here in this case, Moses is still trying to intercede for these people. He's trying to make atonement for them. And if you want to find something positive in this chapter, this is it. The person of Moses, he does so much to, to try to make up for their downfall. And we can, of course, see that how what he is um, asking that the Lord would let him do. Um, Moses is not capable of doing this. No, 
That's why God responds the way he does in verse 33. Whoever has sinned against me, that person I will wipe out of my book. You know, that person is the one who's going to receive the punishment. The one who has sinned, he's going to receive the punishment. But yet we do find another character. A few, you know, thousand and a half or so, you know, 1,500, give or take a little, years later from the time of Moses. You find out that Jesus sets foot on the earth. And you know what? Jesus was actually one who was able to, to say this. Not just perhaps I can make atonement on behalf of, of their sin. But Jesus did that. Jesus did make atonement on behalf of our sin. He did provide a way for us to be forgiven, for our slate to be wiped clean. And he did that because unlike Moses, you know, Moses right here, he's, he's just a man, just like us. He's a really good man. He has his faults, but he, he's a very good man. Jesus is more than a man. And because of that, he was the sinless sacrifice who did atone for our sins. No matter how bad or, or how minor our sins might have uh, might look to us, Jesus did away with all of those sins. To all of us who are willing to follow Jesus Christ, to devote ourselves fully to him. So in this lesson, we can see things that can help point us to Christ and help encourage us to follow our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.